And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Really glad to have you with us today. Appreciate uh, the introduction from Ray, and we'll be on the air now for the next hour here with We Are Just Christians. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm one of the elders and the preacher of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. Usual partner here is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. Gary's the other elder here at the church. And we bring this show to people here in Port St. Lucie and wherever they may be listening to introduce them and to the idea of being just a Christian, not part of some denomination, going back to the first century and getting past all of the denominational and traditional divisions. And the only way we know to do that is to unite around this, the plain and simple word of God rather than historic traditions and opinions and beliefs and so forth and so on. So not, not easy to do, but it can be done. And uh, I, we want to first introduce you to that principle. And so we talk about everything spiritual, whatever it might have to do with politics, culture, uh, pe- people's own lives, individual experiences, talk about all those kind of things. And we try to relate it then back to the scriptures with the premise that the New Testament contains what we need to know how to live, what we need to know to know how to live to please God. And so, therefore, the show is about being just a Christian. And we go uh, different places, and you're welcome to call. We'd love to have you call. That's really a, that's a design of it, a call-in show. So you can reach us here. We are just Christians at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. That's the, how you get a hold of us. And uh, Ray there at the station will patch you right through to us so we can talk over Skype. And um, the ground rules are, you know, you're, you're, wel- you're welcome to disagree, say whatever you want. We're going to we'll respond one way or the other, hopefully with something from the scriptures. And we'll have a conversation and we'll give you the last word in that conversation. So you don't feel like we're trying to take advantage of you. It's not about that. So we'd love to have you call. If you got a question or a comment, maybe something good or bad, you agree or disagree or something bad has happened to you religiously or in a church or something you don't understand or if I have time this morning, I've got another, I got a subject I want to discuss, Gary. I didn't even bring it up to you about God himself and why God does the things he does, uh, which I think is very interesting. There's Maybe very, some kind of question like that. Yeah, there's a very illuminating book on that called Job. <laughs> right. But that that general subject in discussion is theophany. You know, it's why did God, um, why does God do the things he does? But in any event, let's. Um, Let's get into the show this morning, 772-340-1590. Oh, and I guess I better tell you that you can also reach us like some people do by text message, which is uh, 772-260-6120. That's my text number, Mike, 772-260-6120. Gary's is very similar, 772-260-6220 or the two text numbers. So we appreciate you listening in this morning. And you can also tell your friends you can listen to this show on any Alexa or Google device. You can listen to it through the TuneIn radio app in your car or wherever else you might be on your phone. So some of you are going to services or something, you're more than uh, welcome. You can go, you don't have to be in the local area, in other words, 
to get that. Well, Gary, let's go. Let's. Ta- I know we. Well, we're one one, one, one right. point that I always want to make, and I, I swear we're coming from, and I think where you're fixing to come from with the subject, John twelve forty eight. Jesus says, and I'm going to cut it short. The very last part of that verse, he says, "The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day." Talking about people who reject and do not see, see, receive right. his words. And that's why we emphasize the word of God, because that's the that's what's going to judge us. And we need to pay attention to what it says very carefully in a plain, straightforward way. You don't have to be a theologian, have some kind of special knowledge. God just began speaking in the book of Genesis. And um, we we can understand what he says if we are diligent about it and uh, are concerned about it. Well, this subject, um, I ran across this article the other day. And I saw I've seen it twice now. It popped up in my feed. Gary, it may, may not strike you the same. So I'm going to play. A little bit of devil's advocate, and we'll come back to the. We had a couple of uh, an email a couple weeks ago that we want to maybe finish up, but I thought we would try this one, see what you think. Because I have a. (laughs) My first thought on this is not what you might expect. So here is an article from one of these uh, Christian blog websites. Quote, it had to have been God, unquote. And the. Then an infant found alive in a tree after a Tennessee tornado. So Tennessee is ripped through to- Tennessee in December. And this young mother, Sydney Ford, they were in her house to- in their little trailer house. And we based by the time they're the tornado, they're already in the air. Uh, her boyfriend um, and the woman were in the mobile home with a one-year-old son, a four-month-old son, when the tornado struck and uh, blew them apart. The man and the baby end up outside, and they find the baby, after they look around, up in a tree, hanging up in a tree, and so forth. So it had to have been God that did this. Can um, I make a comment? What? No, I, go ahead, no, and no, I'll no, tell you what no, my no, first normally, thought was. No, you know, normally, I... That reaction is normal, and and I believe people l- say, okay, that had to be God when it's something good that happens, but when it's something bad that happens, it, that you know, and that that's kind of the gist of my comment. <laughs> I, I don't I don't doubt. I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't God, but uh, was it? What what an, what a skeptic is say? Well, how can you give God the credit for saving the baby when he caused the tornado in the first place? You yeah, know, if God's if 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 the typical religious view that God controls the the Presbyterian view says the Calvinist the view, Calvinist view that whatever whatsoever comes to pass was predetermined before the world began. Every minute detail, even the sentence I'm going to say next, which I don't even know what it is, was predetermined by God before the time began. So that makes God responsible for the tornado, as well as saving the baby. Now, a skeptic looks at that and says, well, I don't, I know, that just doesn't make sense. God, God causes all these disasters. So you'll love him and thank him for saving some people. But some people did die in this tornado for what I remember. Well, I don't disagree that God accepts responsibility for these things that happen. I don't disagree with that. He only he only accepts responsibility and that he allows evil to exist. Well, he allows okay? he, he allows cause the evil upon man. He allows evil to exist. Well, in the fact in stating in the fact that he he could prevent it. 
to he some could, degree. He he, he, could, he could prevent all of it if he wants. Yes, to. yes, he could prevent He's it. Chosen not to do that. And and I I basically used Job. I kept saying this is this is a great study for Job. Basically, in chapter two of Job, he God makes a statement. Let me see if I find it right here, real quick. Uh, it's here. Hang on. Uh, so Satan comes before God and, and they're discussing Job and God brings up the subject of Job. He said, have you seen my servant Job? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh. And he will surely curse you to his, to your face. And God says, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So he exercises that. Uh, and before that, God had said, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to your integrity, although you incited me to destroy him without cause. Well, God's still not doing the destroying there. Satan is doing the destroying. God's allowing it. And that's the incitement of it. And it's interesting. It's interesting to me that throughout the entire book of Job, from the end of chapter two to the end of the book, Satan is never mentioned again. Never at all. All of the things, all of the things that the friends say and that Job say have their origin with God. I know. So that that's the quandary. And I'm not I'm, people going to we got a caller, but people okay. are going to misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I, I just think Christians are way too glib and facile in this in this understanding and what they say about what's called in in theological circles, the problem of evil. And they're too facile about it. It's the biggest problem. It is, of, of all of the reasons besides just wanting to do what's wrong, it's probably the biggest thing that hinders people from becoming believers when they see evil like that. They see they see this. And it's like that website I mentioned a few times, you know, why does God hate amputees? That guy is making a point about this, that you guys are all excited about God doing miracles, and yet here's all these amputees in the world and doesn't do anything for them. Never has. And so what does God hate amputees, but he loves everybody else with their headaches and their fibromyalgia or whatever, but he doesn't like amputees. This person, this fellow has a good point. And I just think that the problem of evil is something we have to take very seriously. God's involved in it. Satan's involved in it. We're involved in it. And God, I was talking to my wife the other day, and I know we have a phone call, but that that God could have destroyed at could have destroyed Satan at the beginning. When Satan rebelled, God could have destroyed Satan. He didn't. When Adam and Eve sinned, God could have destroyed them and prevented all this evil. When Cain sinned against God, he could have destroyed Cain, but he spared Cain intentionally, it says. He spared Cain from being destroyed. And Cain's descendants opened up the whole world to a flood of evil. And then he had... you see what I'm saying? He could have destroyed, could yeah, have destroyed and, and, all of them. And there's could, just, could have stopped all these Judas and all these people, but he didn't do it. Right. And there's one thing I want to qualify this with is I, by saying that God takes the responsibility for this, what I'm really saying is, and what I'm trying to hone the meaning in on is, God didn't sit around and think up all the things to do to Job. He didn't sit around and think, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to... All the details of that he left to Satan, but he allowed it. And in that sense, we have the responsibility for what we allow to do. David was said to have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of Ammon. David didn't do anything to hit physically to Uriah. 
but he had the responsibility and he allowed and caused the things that happened. And, and of course, we have this is a big issue and we need to get to the phones, but we'll do that in just a second. But I, I want to come back to this if we can. I just thought it was an odd headline that here's the tornado, which nobody blames on God. Right. And here's the baby in the tree. And then the other people that died, nobody mentions them. Nobody mentions and them. So this is just, to me, as a religious person, this is not a fair treatment of these events. Exactly. It's not a fair. And I just think I think a lot of unbelievers see the one-sided unfairness of this anal- this general uh, silly analysis of these things in some of these religious blogs. Okay. Well, I want to make uh, some comments you know about that. Jump in. Yeah. I, I want to make some comments, it. but we're going to have to put it off to another time. All right. because Seven, uh, let me give the numbers and we'll go to go to the phone. 772-340-1590. Jerry, are you there? Sorry to make you hold, Jerry. What's up? Oh, that's okay. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jerry. I, I was wondering about uh, when Rome uh, went from a republic uh, to the next step up. I was just wondering uh, who, how important Octavian was and where he was in the final progression from uh, Caesar. Uh, was it Augustus Caesar or Julius Caesar or something? So this would have been uh, 133 to 31 B.C. Okay. I, I just want to know uh, who Octavian was. and I don't I didn't mean to put you on the spot or anything, but... Uh, I was just wondering, there were complex problems going from a, a, a from a republic to the next step. And I just wonder if you could comment on that. And thank sure. you for taking my call, Mike. Yeah, you know, Jerry, it wouldn't be like you ever to call up and put us on the spot, would it? <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. We really do. Yeah, I'm that, kind of teasing you. Yeah, the only, no, thing, no. the only thing I have to say is I'm not sure losing the republic was a step up, well, but it was a step. Right. Now, now. Octavian Octavian was the son of Julius Caesar. Right. He was called Augustus Caesar, which just means renowned. Augustus means renowned or respected. And the word Caesar itself is not a name. It's a title. It's a title. It's like President Lincoln. It's president was not his first name. Uh, Actually, the Roman czars basically took their name. The Russian czars. The Russian czars. It's Caesar. It's a title. It's a title. And and here's the problem is before this time, before Julius Caesar, Rome was essentially at that time what we consider republic. SPQR, the Senate and the people of Rome. And that meant that the Rome was ruled by the Senate, which was somewhat elected aristocracy and and the people and Julius Caesar, when we call Julius Caesar, was not Shakespeare did so many, although his writing is great, so many great entertainment, destructive things in people's thinking. He made a story about Romeo glorified suicide in people's minds. He wrote a story about Joan of Arc, which is complete historical rubbish. Okay, And, and then and then you have this. This story about Julius Caesar that somehow portrays uh, Julius Caesar as the great hero and a tragic assassination by the evil Brutus and his friends. Julius Caesar was no hero to the Roman people. He was a dictator grabbing, grasping for power against the will of the other senators and other people like Brutus. They were trying to stop him from becoming a dictator and an emperor. 
Now, they didn't succeed because and, and the people he, uh, wanted it that way, and so they, they failed. Now, for Julius, you have to say he didn't rule as harshly as some of the others. I he, know. He, that's, what the bat, that's why he was killed. Yeah, he was he was killed, not because he was killed because he was taking power and the Senate was losing power and they wanted to get rid of the guy that was taking the power away. Right. from him. But they, they, they were they were against him destroying the republic and making it a dictatorship. Now, from that time on, you had emperors in Rome. Now, the word this intersects with Christianity, this was before Christ came, as J- Jerry just mentioned, where this intersects with the Messiah. Basically, Julius died in 44. Right. But under him. Uh, one of his generals actually conquered what is today Palestine, and that brought Roman rule to what was essentially Judea and was prophesied in Daniel. So now we kick off the time of the Messiah. Right. He brought that in. That was around, that was actually around 60, 66 BC, somewhere in that period of time. Well, now there are, so Augustus is a title, meaning uh respected august you know that kind of thing his but real name was octavian he, yes his real name was octavian he he tried to restore some power to the senate that 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 julius had tried to take away and so forth and and i i would say of all the emperors of many of the emperors one one of the best was augustus or octavius probably for from a generally judgment standpoint, he, he didn't persecute Jews or Christians particularly. And he was a generally, uh, well, listen, uh, William Barclay and a couple others commentating, comment, commenting on the emperors later said that that was basically Augustus was the only one of the emperors whose sexual mores were at, at all biblical. Yeah. He, he wasn't a child, didn't have sex with children. He didn't have sex with uh, all, all different kinds of women. He wasn't a homosexual or uh, sodomite. I think he only had one wife. Had I'm one not wife. sure he was faithful to her. He was he was very different than all the other emperors. Most of them were involved in what we would call child molestation and or various acts of homosexuality and all kind of other stuff as a common practice among them. Uh, but so Octavian or Augustus was um, the probably historians will tell you the the most uh, quote unquote Christian or one of those uh, in, in that respect of the of the emperors. Even so though words, even though he died before any Christian really. Existed. Well, yeah, I'm saying from our standpoint, looking yeah. backward, he was a he was much more moral sexually than the rest of the Roman. Now, this is another thing. It, when I was growing up, we were taught about all these great Greek poets and historians and Roman emperors and all that. And they were exalted. And and, uh, and when you look at them historically from a standpoint of the Bible, these men were wicked and corrupt Perfect. and vile, perverts. Yes. We would consider them perverts today. Even the most liberal among most of as citizens would consider them as perverts because of their interest in here in young boys. And they had hordes of them around. And, and so the Greeks and the Romans were just eat up with this kind of pet- pederasty. And so Augustus kind of stood out when you look back on it in that regard. So he came before Christ. Uh, he tried to restore a little bit of uh, a republic to the, to the city of Rome. But after that, after him, 
one after the other. They tried to kill each other. They imposed terrible rules. You had guys like Caligula and Nero and Diocletian and uh, Domitian. You had these wicked men who not only persecuted Christians and Jews, but persecuted every other kind of person and did vile things in the name of Rome, barbaric, vile things that brought shame really on the Roman Empire. So I don't know if that answers your question, Jerry, but um, this uh, the Caesar is a title. Augustus is a title. And um, we should kind of remember that Gary's right about that czar thing, by the way. That's just a that's just a Russian transliteration of Caesar. Yeah. So and, and uh, it, it it's it's interesting to me that Augustus was the one that called for the um, census that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Yeah. So he does intersect with the Bible in a few places. Augustus does. And, and I was at Luke one there. I, I yeah. Well, I, have I think to, it mentions his name there. Yes, it does. I'm going to look that up because I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I for, I thought of it when we first talked about this, but I didn't uh, I didn't go. My mind was on something. I didn't go back to it. But the, he is mentioned in the Bible. Augustus is in. Um, in Luke two, not Luke one, Luke two. Now it came to pass in those days, Luke two, one. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled or for taxation purposes. This was first. This was the first enrollment made when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to enroll themselves, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea. Now, there is some uh, what what historians think actually happened. It takes a long time to do this in a place in the Roman Empire, given their technology, is that the first decree went out from Caesar and then the first enrollment was made some a bit later by Quirinius. And then there was a, a series of other censuses taken. And Joseph probably went to one, went down to one of those later censuses out of Galilee because of the dating of this. Now, we don't know the exact dates, but we got some general idea when when Caesar Augustus was. And so when you look at these, I don't know why it doesn't say this. And I'm reading from the American Standard Version here. I'm not sure why it doesn't show it in. Um, I'm not sure why it doesn't show this in the um, New King James or whatever it may be that we usually read out of. But um, it, it's interesting to me that that God apparently did use Augustus in calling for the census. And and he provided a peaceful error to uh, the area of uh, Judea and what we call Palestine, such that basically it was much easier and safer for Joseph and Mary to bring up Jesus in that period. It was a lot lot more peaceful. Um, There were, I think, perhaps two other emperors, Vespasian and Titus, and they are not known for their persecution of Christians and Jews, but Vespasian and Titus were used in the total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 79 AD. So God did use these men uh, just like he uses a lot of others. In, I just looked this up, Gary. This, I did not know this. Um, see, we do, we do this show live. So sometimes it's great. <laughs> when you look up Caesar Augustus in the text, you go back and look at what the words mean. Uh, this 
this uh, Strong says that this is the surname of Julius Caesar, which adopted by Octavius Augustus and his successors after it became a title and was appropriated by the Roman emperors as part of their oh, name. Interesting. I did not know it was a surname. Well, he, he was the so, first one, I think, that was called Caesar. He was. That maybe that's because it was his name. That was because of his name, but it became it later became to mean something else, a title. Yeah, and so Augustus generally means uh, venerable. So we'll say the August, the Senate of the United States is an august body, I mean a respectable body is the idea. You, we can debate that. But that's what the word venerable means. So Augustus... Octavian's his name. He takes the title Caesar, the honorable, the, the just, you know, that's his title. And they go by these these different. Uh, and he wasn't as bad as some of the rest of them. No, followed him by any stretch of the imagination. And you're right. God used these these men and the, although none of them were in any way uh, his children in the sense of the Jew, a Jew or a Christian. He used their power and, and their character for good or for bad. I mean, he used Herod and he used other people that were wicked to accomplish his will also. That's part of this first question we got, (laughs) God using wickedness and goodness together and blending it together to get what he wants in the end. And so when I say, for example, that um, God's – got to take into account God being in the tornado as well as the baby in the tree, I'm not – and that God could have stopped that. I'm not passing judgment on whether God should have. I I don't know what he should do because I'm not God. And I see now that the blending of these two things together is far beyond human ability to do in the right way. You and I don't have a right to do evil that good may come. The Bible is very clear. Shall we do evil that good may come? God forbid, Paul says. But and, but God is not God can allow evil and good does come from it. And some of the things that we call evil may not. B is exactly what God considers yes, deep, it, it, What it, we think is so bad may not be bad at all. I've said there, many times on this show that sometimes the thing you think is the worst thing that ever happened to you, if you live long enough and obey God, it might turn out to be the best thing ever happened to you. You just don't know. Well, there's an interesting passage in Job. It's in chapter 37. Uh, one of the uh, He's not called one of the friends of Job, but He's one of the characters that's discussed. His name is Elihu. I think I think that's the way you pronounce it. And in Job chapter 37 and about verse 12 and 13, uh, or it goes up back to verse 10, Elihu is telling Job that God does all these things. Uh, and he says, starting in verse, oh, let's start. Verse 11, although with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds, he scatters the bright clouds, and they swirl about and being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of this earth. And then he says in verse 13, he causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, Job. That's the only place that I found where some things about God doing these things are really enumerated. But here's the thing about it, Gary. You and I may disagree about this. I take whatever Job's friends say which is the majority of that book, or a chunk of it, and I dismiss it with a grain of salt, because God dismisses it with a grain of salt at the end of the book. Now, that doesn't mean there's not, you're going to have to verify whatever his friends say somewhere yeah. else. And and you can verify those somewhere you, else. You can, but but uh, it, you can't, it's like taking the words of Satan and saying, well, it's in the Bible. 
And, and but these words are were, were not words that God was pleased with, the words of Job's friends. And it becomes a puzzle, you can say. Yeah, but he's he's he's, he's not in the list specifically that says that. He says he tells that to Elihu. Well, Elihu was the only one that made any sense, according to the book of Job, that was right at all. But what I would say about this, whether he causes it, he causes it to come, whether it's for correction. Well, we know from other scriptures that he corrects us. He, um, he does correct those that he loves. I think you and I, I think we had a discussion about this at the devotion at my house a couple of weeks ago, that we only have, as humans, we only have, we only have of, basically one or two ways to do things. We can influence we can either do something directly with our own power, or we can try to influence it to people. be done, which is very ineffective many times, influencing it. God has more ways of getting something done that he can, quote unquote, cause than just a directly doing it by a miracle, which is what people expect him to do all the time. He can do things indirectly. He can influence other people to do it with a much more uh, positive outcome in his like right. than we could ever do. So God doesn't have to, it is not a matter of whether God does something and that means it's a miracle happens or God arranges things to be, to happen in ways we can't see. And it happens the way he intended another way. Or God it, can do that. We can't, you know, it, you know, he says for correction, which we know or for his land, I, that's kind of inconclusive, but basically Look at the world about you. He designs it the way it works. And for the most part, it works the way he designed it, and it goes in and, that direction. And, and one of the ways he designed it is it would be filled with, with, with quote-unquote, evil. Now, the Bible uses the word evil sometimes to mean moral evil, like murder or adultery. Or it means and calamity. it means a calamity or a thing that happens is troublesome or distressing to people. And God – God, is the cause of those things in an indirect way because he allows them into the world and um, he doesn't stop rocks from falling on people or babies getting blown up into trees because he created the wind and the and the storms and all that stuff. And he doesn't issue declarations beforehand that says, this is why I'm doing this. No, we don't know. We don't know. By the way, Ray there at the station ha has a very profound comment, a question. He says, uh, basically, where does Little Caesars fit into this? <laughs> well, they do make good pizza. They, yes, so, so I think that our, uh, the question is, are they from the hand of God or not? But uh, I enjoy my little Caesars. In any event, um, thank you call, for calling, Jerry. We do appreciate it. And uh, keep keep trying to stump us. We enjoy that. So, I, you know, I was thinking sure, of a couple, happened a few times. I was thinking of a couple examples that, you know, I think Jesus healed a paralytic one time. I can't remember where this is. And um, he he as soon as the paralytic was healed, he disappeared through the crowd. And he came comes back and he talks to the paralytic and he says, uh, you know, you know, you were healed and that's that's fine. I'm paraphrasing here because I'm trying to remember and I can't quote it exactly. But he says, uh, go and you know, go and sin, basically sin no more least something worse befall you. And it kind of hints at the fact that he was a paralytic because he sinned or some sin that occurred that did this. That's in one passage. And then in another place, he heals a blind man. And his disciples ask him, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was, he was, uh, he was blind. Nine, yes. And Jesus says, neither one. He was blind so that the power of God might be displayed in him.
Now, I've always that that's that, those are interesting. I've always thought there that those are specific cases where those people were in the condition they were at the time of Christ for the very purpose of Christ healing them so people could see them. They would be a sign. Both of them were for the power of God. They were. And but now but he, then someone born handicapped or blind today. My point would be, yes, their blindness can show over time the power of God depending on how they react to it and what they do, do they obey? And I think you would meet a lot of people who have these kind of handicaps or disadvantages, including myself personally, who would tell you that, yes, this disadvantage handicap can show the power of God, and it can be a good thing used properly, or it can be a thing that destroys See, God brings things that judge. That's what judgment is, a separation. And his actions in the world, a tornado ripping through a village, can destroy some people's faith or it can increase some people's faith. Depends on the person and the reaction to it. Same event, two reactions, delivering the righteous, destroying the wicked. That's what the Bible's filled with things like that. I wish I could remember those two scriptural references. I did. Which one? The paralytics? Well, there's well, one in Matthew 9, and there's one in in Mark 2. Is that the one where he says, uh, don't sin anymore, least uh, something worse befall you? Um, that was the next paragraph right after that. He's talking to the paralytic who's been healed. Well, the one is talking about which is easier to say. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can find the other one. It's a little bit further. Uh, um That one I can't. I'm, I'm trying to find. I looked here for a second here. Give me a second. Oh, let me see. Um, Luke five. It might be in Luke five here. This is Luke five. I don't think it's that. It, he comes back to the, the. Some of these are the same. He comes back to this man, and I just. Yeah, he comes back to the man after after the crowd's dispersed and the, and the man is healed. Well, I, th- I think he, I think my take on this phrase and um, it, of less something worse Befall. befalls you is is not that he did something bad and that's why he's paralyzed. The the worst thing that could happen would be him to be lost. Uh, you see. Well, he says, do not sin or do not sin. Right. If you spend something worse than being paralyzed is going to happen to you, which is the destruction of your yeah. spirit and, and, and being lost. So it's one thing to be paralyzed. We think it's terrible. Not the worst thing that can happen to you, though. You think being blind is the worst thing that can happen to you. Well, in the Bible, being blind is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Sinning against God's the worst thing that you can do. Well, and, and not repenting. And basically the passage in Job that I was citing in 37, he says, are for his mercy. And I was thinking of the Good Samaritan because basically this man fell among thieves. Evil things happened to him. He was beat up and left for dead. And then someone comes along and displays mercy to him that's demonstrated. Not only that, but it's demonstrated and recorded as a lesson for us. So. Many of these things we don't understand. God's watching us, which goes back to another comment I wanted to make, Mike. We said, well, why didn't he just 
eliminate all evil. God is good. And he gave us free will to make a choice. And so if there's no choice, where's the choice? Right. I mean, and, and, and if there's no free will, then what does it mean to love God? He, he made you to love him, and that's all there is. There's no glory I mean, this, God or anything. This like really, to me, militates against Calvinism in, in all of its forms. Almost just, every page of the Bible does, but, you know, it, you, can, you can't convince a Christian or a, a mini Baptist about that. Now, the story that you're looking for, Gary, is in John 5. Oh, it's John 5. Yes. It says in verse uh, 5, verse 1, now there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And then by the sheep gate, by the pool, which in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, and these great a multitude, a great multitude of sick people, blamed, lying, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, that whoever stepped in first, um, hang on, I lost myself there. Who had ever stepped in first uh, would be healed. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he already, had already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? <laughs> the sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he's so paralyzed, he can't even drag himself into the water in time. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately the man who was made well took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews questioned him about this Sabbath and why do you say that, you know, um, to this man, take up your bed and walk. Now then it says verse 13, but the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin, Sin no, no more, more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. It's an inference, but it, that's what the passage I don't, I don't think the did. worst thing is, well, you're going to be really paralyzed next yeah, time. Yeah. I think he's talking about spiritual damage. Because what he said, he's, he talks in another place about healing the paralytic, and he says your sins are forgiven you. And that, that was to point out that he could do greater things and heal people. He could forgive their sins, which really got the Jews stirred up when he tried to show that he could forgive sins. Because who can forgive yeah, sins? They, they said only God can forgive, forgive sins. sins. So therefore, that really stirred them up. But he said, which is easier to say, your sins be forgiven you or take up your bed and walk? Well, they're, neither one's easier to say. So Jesus says, well, to show you that I can do the one, I'll say the other, and you'll see. So he shows them. That's a sign. That's what yeah. the Bible means by a sign or a miracle, a wonder happens but in any case this is the story i finally figured that john five is where it okay is. it's a it's maybe related to the other cases of healing paralytics but we know that he healed many people who were paralyzed well that one was let down through the roof i think the one that he said uh, yeah so that you know case. so this one he's just sitting by the pool the interesting part to me about that story in john five gary is the idea is it true that an angel would come down and stir up the waters and a person would be healed when they got in. Or is that just something that people, is that a legend, a legend that people that look, if you're paralyzed in ancient times, you have no assistance whatsoever. There's no governmental assistance. There's nothing. There's no therapy. There's nothing for you except to beg every day to get a morsel of bread from somebody. And they carry you around. If you have friends, 
put you by the pool and you sit there all day. Maybe you can fall fall in somehow and get healed. Well, you sit but there all day because they have to go work they and earn a go living. And then they bring they bring you to the gate, put you there, and you hold a cup out and beg all day long. Yeah. There was nothing else for this man to do. So he was been in this, this situation. Maybe he was 38 years old. Maybe he was older and had an accident. As they say, somebody dropped that baby on his head and he was paralyzed. Well, now his whole life alters. Everything is different. And Jesus comes along and heals this man. They they know these people. People live in this city. They all know this man. They see him every day at the same place. They know who he is. We, we, we do not understand a world in which if you had no one to help you, no one individual that cared enough for you to help you, you would die. Right. And they, they had to go beg. And so this is that's why God was so adamant about the Jews helping the poor. He isn't saying set up a government program to help the poor. He is saying you need to see these people and notice them on your daily walking around and ta- and help take care of them because they have no other means. Literally no now, other I, means. Of I think it does bode well for the u.s that for um, the most part many people will help even though they there are other means they can donate to organizations that help or whatever yeah. but people do that and you know who does it more than anybody else by far conservative, conservative christians. christians give more percentage and even more total dollars by far than than progressives do to charity because progressives believe that the way to do that is to pay taxes to do that. And so they pay a pittance of a tax here or there, and they're doing their duty. And I'm being critical. I understand that. I but I'm just saying it's a, it's, a, it's a canard. It's a lie or a, a disambiguous. That they're they're, they're Methodists to figure out how to get somebody else to right. do it. Right, <laughs> that, that, that conservative Christians are stingy people because they don't want to set up a large government bureaucracy to do things. Well, because it, it was takes the individual away. opportunity. It was the individual's duty to take care of this man back then, on some level. Uh, they it wasn't their duty to make him rich, but they 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 should have helped. They should have helped him get to the pool if that's where he wanted to go. Took him took him back home when he got done. It's like like the good Samaritan. What did he do? He told the man at the end, gave him money, paid him to take paid care him. of this man until he came and told him, if you have to spend more, I'll come back and reimburse you. He didn't do what I've done, call 211, you got to get help for somebody. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let me give the numbers real quick here. We'll continue the discussion. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number, 772-340-1590. You can call me. We're in the, in the world, I guess, or in the United States. We'd be, appreciate that, and we'll take your comments on these things. The other thing that comes up about that I – I see this uh, on the little on the next door app, other places, is that, that some of these poor people, strange, they're they're they want to portray we we'll want to portray them as if they're invisible and anonymous. They're not invisible. People see them now. There might be invisible is that people don't do anything about it, but there are always people concerned about particular homeless people that you can see in Stewart or Port St. Lucie. If they live in the same place and I didn't see them and there's one young man I've had dealings with in the past. I haven't seen him for a couple of years. I wonder where happened. I wonder really what happened to him. I don't know. Uh, I know his, know his name, but I don't want to say it on the air, but I haven't seen him. So these, these people are, were not invisible, are not invisible today. 
and they weren't invisible then. The question was, are you going to do anything about it? And and when you can't, when you have opportunity to do something about it. So in any in the event, um, you you brought this up because of the the problem of the, less something more, worse fall you. Now my yeah. take on that is that it's worse to be a sinner because um, that is worse. Here's the other thing: being sort of handicapped myself, growing up thinking and being treated as handicapped. One of the things that I noticed is that a lot of people seem to think that handicapped people are nice and sweet and good people. And um, having lived in that crowd a little bit, I can tell you, I can assure you that, that handicapped people are not any nicer than regular people or sweeter or kinder or more wise or thoughtful. They're maybe worse sometimes, bitter, resentful self-centered you can see why they might be self-centered they're having to focus on their own problems that are very severe and they've had to focus on that to make it so you can see how this happens but yeah, rather rather than conquer it basically it it, it embitters it's, it's like it you can. said it's it, like it, you said in the beginning it can have either of two effects you can either conquer it and be a better person for it or you can let it fold in on you and become bitter and Correct. And here's and here's my point about this business of why does God allow this to happen? I don't think God's all that concerned about the fact that I might have a handicap or not as much as he is many other things about my character, my behavior, uh, my attitudes toward him. Those are the things that he's concerned about. And so the gospel applies to a handicapped person and their speech, their behavior their attitudes as much as it does someone who is not handicapped. It may apply more. It may have more power to to them They because they may be tempted in those areas even gr- more greatly than someone who has normal use of their body or faculties. So the temptations of handicapped people are often greater than those who are have normal bodies and normal actions. This is something we overlook. Which one is the Bible concerned about? The fact that a person can't see well or, or hear well or what what whether they walk and speak with integrity and how how do the, how they love other people. Well, I can tell you which one God's concerned about. He isn't concerned at all that I have trouble seeing or hearing in many ways. He's concerned that I use my faculties that I do have and my abilities to do good with and serve him well, he's, and obey him. That's what he's concerned about, whatever he, it may be. He's not concerned about circumstances here on earth. I think he's concerned about circumstances in the hereafter. Which, I, I, which have all, nothing to do directly with your handicap. Yeah. It's just how do you use your handicap plus for or against yourself. Or what kind of opportunities does that give you to demonstrate to God what kind of person you are? I keep coming back to this fact. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. And and everybody wants to take that. Well, all I have to do is have faith or all I have to do is believe in God and he's going to save me. Say a one-time sinner's prayer and we're good to go. Say a one-time sinner's prayer and we're good to go. And all through the Bible, God said, God demonstrates, I want to see your faith. Because why? Because is it that he doesn't know that I have faith? Or if God can 
know things. He can also not know things that he doesn't want to know. He can decide what he wants to know. He gave you free will. And in giving you free That's will, you're blind or not, okay, whether you're blind or not, right. he gave you free will. Now, because you have free will, you can do good or you can do bad or you can do what you want, whether you're blind or not, whether you're blind or not, or whether you're paraplegic or not. Basically, he wants now to see what kind of faith you have. Right. And and your faith as a handicapped person may be challenged in ways that your faith, if you were able-bodied, would not be. But that's. But on the other hand, the person with able body is challenged in ways that you're not. So it it's what it is. And and the it's it's uh, what I think George Bush kind of coined this. And I am no fan of George Bush, but he coined this expression: the soft bigotry of low expectations. And he yeah. was applying that to the fact that that white progressives oftentimes have almost no expectations of a black person succeeding in life. And so they want to help them because they know how poor and helpless they are. And they have, it's a soft bigotry. It's a bigotry, a type of bigotry of low expectations. And it ought to make people angry on the other side of that. And same thing is true with handicapped people. We see someone who has a handicap and we don't expect them to, to act well and have character, take care of themselves, to to stand up and fight for what the, the, uh, to learn how to do things. We should. And I feel if you have a handicapped child, stop babying, babying that child, stop pampering that child, make him work through things, suffer through things, make him do what he needs to do. Maybe hard, but go ahead and do that. Don't have the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's a disres- It's disrespectful. To do that, it's disrespectful to him and her to do that. And if you had any idea of the spiritual outcome of this, we're here in this life for God to observe us and understand what we are. At the end of this life, a judgment is going to be made as to where we spend eternity. And what he sees, blind or not, (laughs) whether we're blind or not, whether we're paraplegic or not, and basically he's going to say, these are the ones that. I want because of what they did, okay, and what I observed. Right. And these are the ones that are not wanted because, again, what I observed. Now, it's a matter of faith. You you do the things you do because of faith and belief. That's the foundation. But the observation is in the deeds and the works. I don't know how else to explain it. And I think what happens then is some, some folks approach the handicapped and and other things, people with any kind of disadvantage. And they're really using that person to make themselves feel better and um, make themselves be a good person because they get other people to help them, you know, that kind of thing. And it's a, it's really a touchy, touchy, dicey subject. There's one thing, it's one thing to be virtuous and to, to, to do the things that God observes as virtue, it's another thing to, how can I say it, appear virtuous, virtuous, make yourself appear virtuous. And in that case, nothing really is involved in what you do to demonstrate what God's looking to see. But basically, it's just an appearance. And belief alone or faith alone is just an appearance. 
It's it's not real. It's not substantive. It's not what James two calls complete or perfected. Right. Right. Well, let me give the numbers again real quick. I've still got plenty of time for you to call in. If you want to reach the show, we are just Christian seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety seven seven two three four zero one five nine zero. You can also reach us by text message seven seven I'm just gonna give you the one right now. Seven seven two two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero or by email if you're not in a position to do either one of those two you can email the show at just christians at att.net just christians at att.net gary i want to tell i'll think of i just thought of this i want to tell the listeners about a class a class that we're teaching that they can participate in over zoom uh, on Thursday evenings at seven o'clock. Is that okay with you? We, yeah, fine. Because we'll I think I think that's I, a very I, good class. We can come back to this subject or other subjects if anybody wants to call in. But uh, I just happened to think of this. Um, we have a, a Zoom class and it's a live class at our building also on Thursday evenings at seven o'clock. Uh, it's called a new life, and it's a it's designed for people that are trying to start a new life as a Christian. Or find out about that. And it, of course, it really is applicable to any age of maturity in Christ. A new life at seven o'clock by Zoom. Uh, I, I'd be glad to text you or send you the link to sign on to this Zoom class. If you would uh, either text me or email me and let me know that you like that link, I'll be glad to send it to you. And so you can do that at 772 uh, or you can email justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. And, and it's a, you, you can participate in the discussion or not. You can, some people that are, they're signing on, they listen, others participate. And, and it's a, we we're, we do some, it's a discussion class. We read some scriptures, discuss it, talk about the different aspects of being, uh, having a new life in Christ, what that means. And we're going to, going to go different different places right now we've been dealing with ephesians 4 and colossians 3 about some things paul says about putting off the old man putting on the new but i think it's been very helpful to me i've enjoyed it others seem to enjoy it so if you want to get involved in that uh text me and let me know and i'll send you the link 772-260-6120 or seven uh, or just christians at att.net so anyway, Garrett, I guess it's strange uh, going back to this. Um, you, you can see in the life of uh, Jerry's question about of Augustus, God working his providence in in the light in the unfolding of these events. And then you see. Uh, it, it's just a difficult subject. This because of my situation as a boy having cerebral palsy. Uh, I think I did a lot of thinking about this subject of why things are like they are when I was very young, maybe more so. And this is not bragging. I'm just it's an observation. And so it's been it hasn't been it hasn't been helpful to me. So I'm not bragging about it in some ways. I did a lot of thinking about this uh, as a boy trying to figure out my own situation, what it meant. And and. Um, I guess I've always had a little bit of a cynical attitude about 
about people treating this in such a glib fashion. The Bible just doesn't resolve the issue completely. Even the book of Job, Gary, in the book of Job, these questions are asked. But what's the answer? You know, the only answer Job ever gets, I'm God, you're man. That's the only answer he ever gets. I'm God, worship me. You're man. You don't understand. You can't understand. That's the only answer. And that doesn't satisfy a lot of people. Sometimes in your life, that's not as it takes faith for that answer. You have to read the whole Bible and get the whole picture before that answer really is satisfied to you. Job actually at one point, and I quote, he says, know then that God has wronged me. And at the end, God's, God basically says, would you annul my judgment that you might be found justified? Well, God and, did wrong him in that he hadn't done anything to deserve what he had done. But that was part of that was part of Job's fallacy. The fallacy was he believed like everybody else is at that day yeah, and time. That everything that happens to you, you either deserve or don't deserve them. If bad things happen, you deserve them. Yeah, but Good his, his friends deserve that. He neither Job nor his friends ever considered anything other than Job did something wrong. So God did. That. That's what I'm saying. That's the background. So in in his mind, he was wrong. And, and perhaps he was in that sense. Uh, and that's what God may have been saying when he said you incited me against him. It was God's intent. If God intended to intended to harm Job, he would have already done it before Satan came. It, it, it was a he didn't test. intend to do it that when, way. When you come right down to it, it was a test of Job's faith. Brought about by Satan's accusation, which is the way things God, way things work. Satan accuses, God tests. But Basically, we come back to the idea. But there's no answer given as to why these things happen per se to explain God's actions per se. He's never told, Job is never told about the scene in heaven in which he was accused by Satan. He doesn't know the background like we do. He's never told that. This is a this is a big problem, and I I don't think we well, Christians should dismiss this problem. part of that problem. Part of that problem may help in a passage that's in Deuteronomy. It's in chapter eight, and it's in the first part of Deuteronomy. And basically, Moses going back over the law, and they've come to the land, and this is what it says: uh, Deuteronomy eight one. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. This is God, Moses speaking for God, talking to the people. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Okay, I've missed something coming up. Larry is on the phone. We've only got about a minute left, Larry. If you would give me your question, maybe we can deal with it now or later on. I'm sorry to keep you holding. I didn't realize you were there. Okay, Mike. Here's yeah. What I'm I request, I heard pain of, of function research. It's a book. A book okay. by Van Paul called The Great COVID Cover-Up. The Great COVID Cover-Up? All right. Well, I'll take a look at that. I'm sorry, Larry, but we're going to have to run. I, I apologize for missing. You call back next week, and I appreciate that. Thanks for listening today to We Are Just Christians. But we got to go. Next week, and we'll, be, and we'll be glad to take your call. Thank you so much.
You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.